0: The world is always full of the sound of waves. The little fishies abandoning themselves to the waves dance and sing and play. But who knows the heart of the sea a hundred feet down? Who knows the depth?
1: What's up, y'all? Welcome to the Sports Medicine Broadcast, a podcast to promote and improve your practice as an athletic trainer. I am Jeremy Jackson, host of the Sports Medicine Broadcast. This one will be sportsmedicinebroadcast.com slash path to leadership John Zico is closing out another October, another Athletic Trainer Leadership Series. And this time we've got a, I would say, a listener success story in Rick Cox. Rick is the Athletic Trainer at Suffolk. Suffolk, I should have asked. But, you know, I'm glad I didn't. I always mess it up when I ask how to pronounce something. Um, At Suffolk University for 12 years, he's been in the profession as an Athletic Trainer. So he's the head Athletic Trainer there. We were just discussing some of the... Struggles with COVID and how they're running that, and some of the leadership issues that are going on between John's School and uh, Rick's School, and and it just it, it's a fun conversation. And and you know, one of the things that we mentioned right before was everything we talked about last week. We had a collision in practical application this week, so it'll be fun. Um, so, Rick, welcome to the sports medicine broadcast.
2: Thanks so much, guys, for having me. I really appreciate it.
1: Yep, and so we met Rick in person live at NATA in Las Vegas, and then, uh, funny story, so Rick and I, uh, I was trying to do something live on Twitter, and then Rick, I, I he joined it, but then I somehow blocked him, because I was trying to, like, respond or something like that, and then, so for probably, like, a month, Rick was blocked from my Twitter, so he finally messaged me on, like, Facebook or email, saying, hey, uh, I'm still blocked, sorry, man, sorry, sorry, so we did some conflict resolution there, nice and easy, so... All right, John,
0: everything's coming together. Yeah.
1: yeah. All right. So again, this is sportsmedicinebroadcast.com slash path to leadership. Cause we're talking about Rick's path to leadership. And again, he was recently featured on the athletic training chat podcast, again, discussing leadership. So check that, check that one out. If you haven't uh, after you listen to this one. So John, you opened us up with a line from Musashi. Why Musashi? Why that line? You know, it's,
0: it- The book is covered a lot. And uh, it's another one of those thousand page summer reads for me. Um, It was uh, a pretty, if you ever see the book, it it looks almost like a Bible. It is so thick. And it's those paper thin, less than paper thin pages. And it reads um, very, very well. Uh, it's a fun story to read, but it's also a very long story. It's about a samurai warrior's life and the path that they choose to go from a servant all the way to being the number one samurai in Japan in the 1600s. Um, it's, it's a fantastic book, a lot of uh, layers into it, and uh, that's part of the reason why I chose it. Um, that line that I read was actually the closing stanza of the book, so you, you read over a thousand pages and you get to that last line and you try to think about why did you just read this whole book about the path of this samurai? And while we talk about leadership, we always talk about the paths of leadership too. So, you know, the reason I chose Musashi is it, it really illustrates the person's path to their given occupation. You know, we talked about the thousand hour rule uh, a couple weeks ago. Uh, And a lot of times what we end up seeing is that outside of that person. But what we really never get to see is the true path that they took to, to see who exactly they are. And more importantly, not just the path that they've taken, but where it's going to take them in the future. And I think, you know, the best part about that is it brings us back to Rick. You know, we got a chance to meet Rick a couple years ago at NTA. And um, for me, it was that, that that it showed the importance of what we're doing here because we had listeners. People were listening. They were attaching themselves to what we had talked about and using the, the things that we were talking about in their own practice, not just in their athletic training practice, but in their personal life too. So, um, you know, Rick was on the athletic training chat, talked a lot about uh, his, his lessons that he's learned, uh, the books that he's read and things he's taken from those things. Uh, and I thought it was perfect to kind of bring Rick back into this fold and talk about how he got to where he is now and what's the future for Rick uh, and, and what he's learned out of our podcast series over the last couple of years. So, Rick, thanks for joining us, and and I appreciate to, to hear your story.
2: Well, thanks. Thanks again for having me on. Uh, I'm a big fan of, of, of the podcast, especially all the – the previous leadership series you've done the first one. Um, and then last year with, uh, Stanley crystal, um, you know, I just, I've taken so much from just, you know, hearing you guys who are, you know, great leaders yourselves talk about and discuss these, these, these principles and, and these books. So uh, this is my year three as a, as a head athletic trainer at, at Suffolk. Um, Every other position I've had uh, has been as an, in an assistant role, generally with a strength and conditioning role attached to it. And I thought, uh, for a long time, I thought that that was going to be enough for me. Like, I would just be part of a staff doing a really good job, um, taking care of my athletes, making people fast and strong and injury-free. And so leadership wasn't, for, for a big chunk of my career, it wasn't really something that I really studied. Um, it was It was just sort of... Something I, I knew about and I knew it was important, but it wasn't really that important to me. Um, and then I saw early in my career some examples of some not so great leadership. And then once I finally realized that, you know, being just being part of a staff wasn't going to be good enough, I knew that uh, I had to become a better leader. Um, in order to, cause I, I, just, I just, again, I wanted to do a great job and in order to do a great job as a head athletic trainer, you have to be a good leader. Um, and it was going to be my first time being in charge of a staff, you know, it was maybe my first time being, being in a supervisory role over people. Um, so that was when I really sort of dialed in on, all right, I need to find out what good leaders do. I need to find, I need to find good leaders and I need to emulate them. Um, and then once, you know, once I, once I re- realized, I decided that that was going to be what I wanted, I just kind of dove right in and I just, I just kind of started consuming everything that I could. And then it was, you know, it was three years, three years ago that I got this job. It was probably a year or two prior to that, that I really realized that this is where I wanted to be. So I started kind of looking at jobs, applying for jobs. And this one was nice because we came in, there was only one athletic trainer at Suffolk prior, um, He was, he was by himself. And then they were increasing the size of the program, adding teams. So they knew that, you know, having one AT was not adequate, excuse me, was not adequate for the the way the department was growing. So we increased the size of the athletic training staff. So I got hired. And then I was uh you know I helped hire the two other athletic trainers that were that ended up that up I work with today, and uh <clears throat> i'm still just continuing to try and grow and become better because constantly i'm just always worried about am I doing a good job am I a good leader do they trust me do they respect me and um and from here I think. At this point, I just want to keep on moving up. You know, I, I, I. My goal, I think, eventually is to be in an administrative role, a, a sort of a clinical and administrative role together. I want to be, maybe, assistant A.D. for sports medicine or something. And I just think I just have that that drive to continually move up.
0: So you talked about the why. You know, why you started doing it, and and it's kind of has it consumed you in a way that it can be almost unhealthy sometimes. There's some been times where I, I've I've been consumed with that, that need to know how I'm doing or am I doing the right thing? Or, you know, last week we talked about hopefully we're on the right side of history with some of the decisions that we're making and it can consume you a little bit. When you started down your path, we're going to continuously say that that phrase down the path, Um, you know, was this something that has gotten easier for you or has it gotten a little bit more difficult for you?
2: Oh, I'd say it's definitely gotten more difficult. I just feel like there's. I think I'm doing something right, and then, I mean, I haven't necessarily heard that I've done anything wrong, but I'm just the way that I'm constantly questioning it, and the more I'm trying, I don't, I don't know if I would say unhealthy, but I am like constantly questioning about, like, asking myself those questions, like, what could I have done better? Like, could I be doing things better overall? Um, could I be treating my my coworkers better? Um, so I, I don't think, so I don't think, I don't think it's unhealthy, but I do constantly, uh, ask myself those questions.
0: There's a lot of self-reflection that happens with it, isn't there? Yes. Yes.
2: And I think you have to, I think if you don't, then, you know, you're, that's that, you know, you're going to get stagnant. And, and if you're not trying to continually learn and be better, then I think that's where, that's where problems can arise.
0: So, as our quote unquote one of our success stories, and that's one of the best parts about this series, here is we've been able to have, you know, Patrick O'Haver on that's, that's assisted us with the first couple episodes. And, um, you know, and then we, it, for us, it was really getting a chance to meet you guys at NDA and really showing how, how well it's being taken and, um, you know, just the fact that people are taking their own time not necessarily because they have to do it for a CEU or anything, because they've seen the need for these principles to be enacted. Uh, a lot of us are that mid-level person as athletic trainers, whether you're a head athletic trainer at a college or at a high school, um, you're typically not the person in charge because there's the administration above you. Um, you know, for me, it was always a chance to lead up and to, to say, Hey, these are the things that need to get done and be handled better. Um, you know, that was kind of, what really prompted me to, to learn these lessons and enact them. Um, But, you know, going back to it as one of our success stories, I want to hear about how you did it. How did you go back? And and we we obviously talked about self-reflection, but um, how did you go about it yourself?
2: Um, So a lot of reading, um, a lot of reading of, you know, a lot of different individuals. Um, I have certain people that I kind of <laughs> um, tend to emulate, but I try not to get too hyper focused on one individual. Um, <laughs> but um, but really, like that's that's what it is. It's been it's been reading it's been reading a lot of uh, a lot of stuff in the military, just because at that point I think it's sort of the ultimate test of leadership when you're in a position where you're making decisions that could cause people to die um you're making decisions in the most chaotic environment you could possibly be in but also i mean i like to look take, take other, other different perspectives you know, I'm, you know i'm i'm a big fan of uh, simon Sinek um and his and his perspective um you know i like i read a lot of um uh ryan holiday obstacle is the way and that sort of that stoic philosophy um but i think that's really what it's been it's about reading different perspectives as reading how people handled leadership decisions in certain situations and I try to apply it. I'm not I'm not obviously in a lot of those situations myself being an athletic trainer and not a you know not 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 in the military but I think I think they're definitely applicable and I think that's really that's really the way I've done it is mostly through through reading
0: talking with coaches and, and there's a, a guy I know um really good friend of mine He's out in, uh, in in Liverpool. He runs a, a soccer training uh, facility, and he's always talked about how, in his brilliant Liverpool accent, uh, how football is life sped up. And it's always led me to think of how all athletics are life sped up. And that thought has been in the, in the back of my mind for a long time. And then I read it in a book, another military book, because, you know, very. Similar to me, I, I find a lot of those things ap- uh, applicable to our life and what we do in athletics. Um, it's, you know, war is life sped up. And, you know, I, like I said last week, I never, I always want to be delicate when I, um, you know, talk about athletics and, and war. They're not the same thing. We can draw comparisons, but um, they're definitely not the same thing. It is important to draw those lessons from those books uh, because a lot of our life is so chaotic and I think for me, when I started going down this path, it was a way to kind of control the chaos in my life, not just in my professional life, but also in my personal life, too. How can I control these things and uh, turn them in my, own, in my advantage? And when I started reading more, it, it really helped me wrangle in the chaos that was in my life. Was that si- kind of something that you had recognized as well?
2: Well yeah, I mean it's like you just realize that you're not you're not alone. You know, these pe- other people have gone through similar situations or worse and they've managed to handle it. And then I think I just take that as inspiration.
0: For me it's it was always trying to just wrangle that chaos. And you know, we, we as athletic trainers find ourselves in those moments and, and before we jumped on, Jeremy and I were talking about the medical timeouts and and why we do those things. Um, you know the reason why I implemented that at our school was, if you've ever been in uh, a chaotic situation with an injury, you need to have everybody on the same page. and And it was a lot of it came from those those lessons that we learned in the books that we've covered and and books that i've I've covered on the outside. Um, one of the things that I've always found interesting about when we do start learning more about leadership, we start realizing that leadership lessons are everywhere, not just the books that we're reading. Um, you know, you even see them in movies like the lion King, a children's story, you know, last, last year we read a children's story uh, and, and the lessons we can learn from a book that's geared towards four-year-olds that we can take as professionals, as adults. Um, has that been similar for you and, and outside of the books that you typically read? Have you have you recognized some of the leadership lessons uh, in the outside world?
2: Well, yeah, I think, too, because, you know, there, there's sort of these sort of universal truths when it comes to leadership and they apply everywhere. And it's not just in the military. It's not just in business. Um, but um, I don't have a specific example now, but I do. I do. I see them. I see them everywhere, um, and then you can use them, and you can recognize whether that it was a good decision or it was a poor decision based on your experience and knowledge with leadership from other sources, um, but I think that's one of the really cool things is like I'll, you know, even certain, you know, we're looking at the election, I can make decisions on whether I think good leadership decisions were made or bad leadership decisions were made, um, and it, it is, it's, it's, it's just relevant basically to every aspect of life, even if even the most minute uh, details of your life you know these are all decisions that you have to make and they're either good or they're bad or, or they can be indifferent I suppose but um, the big decisions that you're making no matter what no matter the setting that you're in no matter the job that you have leadership kind of it falls that it falls on everything so that's it it is it once it's one of those things like once you once you know you, you what is it what the, the quote is uh, once you know the path you see it in all things I believe it's something similar to that where you know it's just everywhere And it kind of, it it helps guide you.
1: So going back to the medical timeout kind of thing. So last week was the first week that I did that. And it was just me, the other athletic trainer uh, from my school and the ambulance driver. And so we couldn't get all the people coordinated. So then this week I was more intentional about saying, hey, can we get the, the stadium athletic trainer? Can we get the head official can we get the police officer well we still didn't get a police officer we still didn't get the athletic director there but we had more people involved and the official asked why are we doing this what's this about you know because when I went in there into the official locker room I said hey who would I talk to about the medical timeout and they're like oh yeah if there's somebody injured we just call a timeout in the field you guys come on I'm like that's not really what I'm talking about this is just to make sure we're all on the same page and so like it, John and I talked you know and you're nervous about taking that step of leadership saying, this is something different. This is something new. And I don't have experience with this. Right. So talk a little bit about taking that first step and about some of the nervousness that you experienced and some of the, the, and how that came out for you.
2: Yeah. I mean, I was, I was definitely nervous. Um, I mean, I had never like really been in a supervisory role before I had never advised staff before, and I knew I was going to make a lot of a lot of mistakes, but I felt like I could mitigate the mistakes by making little ones rather than making one one big one. Uh, and each time that I would, you know, every decision I made, I would uh, again go back and, and reflect on it and try and decide: Is it the right? Was it the right one? What could I have done better? And I, and I still, you know, I'm not going to say I don't make mistakes. I absolutely, I I still do. I think I will for the rest of my life probably. Um, But I think it it has gotten a little bit easier. I don't, I don't know how many years it's going to take for me to feel totally comfortable being in the position I'm in. Um, But I'm definitely more comfortable than I was two years ago where I kind of walked into this situation and I was really, I was like, I don't really know what I'm doing. Um, And then you just, I just get, I get so many (laughs) experiences you know, every single year on how, on, on the mistakes I've made, on the decisions I've made. And I think each, each year it kind of gets a little bit easier, but I'm sure some, you know, and then, and then obviously like we throw COVID into the mix and nobody knows anything about it and everyone's making decisions and making mistakes. And um, so I, get, I think after this, it might be a little bit easier because not much is going to be thrown at us. That's quite so daunting and, 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 and unknown.
1: So have you had experiences to where you rejected the leadership to where you said, okay, I failed at this once. Maybe I failed at this twice. I'm not going to do it. So, you know, going with my example of the medical timeout, like it was a disaster. It was a disaster. Okay. Well forget it. I'm just, I'm going to trash this. Have you had some experiences like that?
2: I can't think of anything. That's one really hard one that I've been like that totally was terrible decision. Um, It's just sort of, I think it's more sort of, I've tried to make everything better. Like with our, so with our um, EAPs, you know, I, I we, net, we luckily so far, we haven't really had an incident where we've had to enact an EAP um, and, you know, call an ambulance to the field or anything. Uh, but I, I did, you know, one of the first things I did was I looked at those and then I tried to implement those and our coaches weren't always up on the EAPs and that's not a good thing. And I, we try to constantly kind of, talk as a staff on how we can better communicate our EAP to our our coaches and get them involved. And I think that's one thing we haven't still done done a great job of. We haven't done really any practicing of it. Um, We haven't really, um, outside of discussing it with the coaches, I don't think we've done enough to really make sure that um, if something were to happen, we have it totally dialed in. So I think that's that's probably one thing that I definitely think we need to improve on. We need to be better about practicing our EAPs and truly making sure everyone knows their roles in those situations.
1: I love that comment in there, making the small changes. So unless there is a like a complete coaching staff change, making any sort of sweeping changes is probably going to be really difficult. But if you slowly turn the water up, then the frog doesn't jump out of the pot, right? All right it's the easy way to mm-hmm. boil the frog, but... If you just small changes, okay, we're going to change just a little bit this time, just a little bit this time, right? And then over time, there's more acceptance and over time you have more success. And then you're saying you're, you're just building upon success, success upon success and learning from those lessons. So, John,
0: I think we need to be careful when we talk about disasters, right? Jeremy, you, you identified that as a disaster, I was giving what did an you example. learn from
1: it? I didn't really feel like it was a disaster. I was just giving an example. Yeah.
0: And, and there's been times where I've, I've said that word, too. I've said, oh, that that was handled. That was a disaster of how it was handled. But at the end of the day, we ended up learning from it, too. So, you know, we, we make mistakes and and sometimes we want to identify the situation as a mistake. But if you look back on it and redefine it as a learning lesson, as a, a learning opportunity or a lesson that learned uh, that has made you better, it, it allows you to, to look at situations a little bit easier so that it's not always a negative thing, and I think early in my career, every situation was a negative situation for me because it didn't go exactly how I wanted to do, to go. Um, Rick, you talked about universal truths. What are some of the universal truths that you have found to be truths?
2: Um, really, it's about I guess t- you know taking responsibility for. Everything in your world as a leader um, that's that, that, I mean I think that is a universal truth and then you know you can't not not placing blame I think that's that's a universal truth as well you, you, as soon as you start pointing fingers you know I think it just it's it just doesn't look good on you and everybody who knows that you're the leader knows that what you're doing um, so I think pretty, pretty much honesty and being able to have hard decisions hard conversations with people is really really important but i think that probably the number one is that you need to not point blame you need to take blame and give out credit that's really that that's really something that i think is really important um, and if, if cuz if you know if the opposite is true if you try and take credit that's not yours and you place blame that is yours everybody sees that You know, it doesn't, you might think that you're getting away with it, but everybody really sees it. And I think that's probably the biggest one is you need to, you know, let your staff know when they've done something really well. And if something goes wrong, you need to be the one to look back and say, what did I do that caused that to happen? Because in actuality, that is absolutely the case.
0: Yeah, I think that's when people start recognizing that, that's when they start gravitating to you as a leader. Uh, they, they appreciate the honesty. They appreciate the candor. They appreciate your ability to be humble and to take uh, whatever lessons were learned and, and to turn them into positives. The more you're able to do that, the more people gravitate to you. Has that been something that you've noticed at your time, during your time?
2: Uh, I definitely think so. I, th- I definitely think, uh, you know, because I think my one of my biggest strengths is my ability to create relationships, and especially with not just my staff, but with our student-athletes. Uh, I think we've created an environment where people know that, we're going to be honest with them we're going to be upfront but we're also going to take really good care of them and you know it's been become a place where you know i've had people come to me for advice my like you know the rest of the athletic training staff people come to us for for advice cuz they know they know how it is and they know that we're able to use our experiences and we'll 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 set them straight as best we can but they know that we're not going to BS them. We're not going to sugarcoat things. Um, And I have no problem if someone comes to me and be like, well, I did this and I think it's a bad idea. I'll just straight up tell them it's not, it's not, you know, you handled this poorly, But but at the same time, it's not about berating them. It's about how can you have done it better the next time. And some people have a hard time taking even that little bit of criticism, but I think, I think as far as, I think people have recognized that that's what we do, that we are straightforward, we we do the best job we can, and we're not gonna we're not gonna blow smoke for people.
0: So can you talk about some of the times that you've been forced into relearning these lessons? You know we talk a lot about honesty, being humble, uh, the great communication skills, building relationships. Uh, and, and where you've tried it and you've done a really good job at it, but then there's been times where you've, you may have failed and mm-hmm. then it's forced you to learn more. Has there been any situations that you've experienced like that?
2: Yeah. Yeah. So, um, my first year, um, we had a situation where, uh, we, we every week we have an ortho clinic, like a lot of colleges and we had a baseball player who was in our ortho clinic being seen for something and our doctor decided that she wanted him to go uh, to the emergency room. And it was a situation where I was in the weight room working with basketball, because I do strength and conditioning too. Um, my coworker was in the clinic, but he had a volleyball game that night. And basically we did not handle the situation well at all. We sent the kid to the ER. He was a freshman. He went with a, a sophomore, went to the ER with him. And we know none of us, neither of us just recognized that we needed to tell our baseball coach that we were sending one of his kids to the ER. I don't know if it was because it's just, we had too much stuff going on. We both thought the other one was going to do it. Um, but it honestly, it wasn't on my radar, which is not a great thing. And nothing bad happened. He went to the ER. He, you know, did, they did the test they wanted to do and he ended up being fine. But the following day I got a call. From the baseball coach, and he basically lit me up because nobody had called him to tell him that his one of his players had gone to the ER. And so I think a lo- if I was younger in my career, what important things I have done in the past is I would have immediately started making excuses as to why. That happened. You know, I was in the weight room. I wasn't there. Nick was with him. Like, what, you know, what what am I supposed to do? I've got other responsibilities. And I've definitely done that in the past where a coach has come at me and I've like panicked and like tried to start making excuses. But this time, I, you know, he just, you know, as he was yelling at me, all I could think of was like, he's right. We made, we, we, we screwed this up big time. And so that's what I said. I said, we, I said, we made a mistake. And it was kind of like, I don't know if he was taken aback but, or if he was expecting something different. But when I said, you're right, you're, we made a mistake and we're not going to let this happen again. And that kind of de-escalated the whole thing. And I apologized. And we kind of had a good conversation after that. But that was definitely a scenario where if I hadn't read all of, some of the things I've read and I hadn't um, decided I wanted to be better than I have been in the past, I think I might have tried to do the same thing is make a bunch of excuses and make it seem like it wasn't my fault.
0: Have there been any relationships that you've seen improve over your time because of your improvement in your communication styles and and being honest and humble with your coaching staff? Have you seen any relationships go from, I hate talking to that coach because he's an asshole, to we're pretty good friends and on really good terms because of the way we communicate?
2: Um, I don't think I have gone that yet. I'm working on that. There are certain coaches that I'm – that I'm dealing with that are, we're in the front end of that right now. And I'm trying to improve. Um, but I think overall, I, I've been really lucky in this, in that, um, I've been, I've had coaches and I've had great relationships with most of, with most of my coaches, especially in the last, you know, here at Suffolk. Um, I am constantly trying to imp- I know that I could be a better communicator. Like there are certain coaches that I don't have not you know, not a bad relationship with, but not a great relationship. And I think I can improve that by, by taking the initiative and trying to communicate with them more. Um, But there are certainly, there's a coach I can think of that I'm not, we're we're not uh, on the greatest of terms all the time. And I, and I know that I need to try and fix that.
0: Yeah. Luckily our uh, coach that I, there's a coach I struggled with for years and the communication just wasn't there. Uh, and it wasn't, luckily it wasn't just me. He was, he struggled with our administration, our administ- well, I should say our administration struggled with him. Um, he was very closed off. He had built these walls around his program. And, uh, I busted my ass for a whole year to make a better relationship with this person to the point where eventually, um, I was invited to the the year-end banquet which you know it's not a big deal to me but you know the the class of girls that had graduated i i became a little bit closer with them um i was happy to be there at the uh the year-end banquet and then after that the year was over and then it just went right back to the starting point um and then it was Uh, back to ground zero, couldn't communicate with the guy, couldn't really, you know, get anything out of him. We weren't working in concert. And uh, luckily for me, it worked itself out where he just resigned his position and and moved along. Now, uh, it doesn't mean that that's gone away. You know, the next coach that comes in, we may have difficulty talking and and building that relationship, whatever it is. Um, But it was definitely a lesson learned that it is not something that as soon as it gets good, it's fine you have to continuously work at it over and over and over and over because you have to continuously foster and cultivate that relationship. Uh, it's, it's like building a garden, you know, you, you want to build a good hearty garden um, you have to take care of it and you have to treat it and water it.
2: Well, it's, it's tough too. Cause sometimes, you know, the, the, the other person doesn't really have an interest in having a good relationship. And that's probably why the relationship's not great in the first place but if they don't see the value in having a good relationship with you, you can do all the work in the world. And if they're just so resistant, I mean, there's not a lot that, that you can do. Um, I think that's great that you were able to, even for a short while, um, improve it. But it is. But you're absolutely right. Like it's it can't it can't ever stop, especially with someone who it's doesn't naturally come. It's not naturally to have a good relationship with other people.
0: Leadership is not just a lesson or the lessons of leadership are not just for your professional life. For me, it was it helped me gain a better understanding and and really take a hold of my professional life and and start leading uh, in the areas that I needed to in my building at my state level. I started to really just kind of take control and and really start pushing forward the profession, in my opinion. Uh, It really helped me. But then on the other side, I started. I started noticing that it was helping my personal life too. I was able to take control over um, relationships with friends, and maybe I shouldn't say it that way. I didn't like control my friends, but you know, I, I became closer friends with the people I was around. Um, I communicated better with them. I communicated better with my parents, and, and um, you know, I just started noticing those things in my personal life were getting better too. Has Beth, has that been the case for you as well?
2: Uh, I would say that that's an area that I'm still trying to to get better at. I think I've been so hyper-focused on improving my professional leadership, and I really, to my detriment, have not, uh, unfortunately, uh, found that to be quite the case because it's not something I've really tried to be able to to transition my leadership knowledge from my professional to my personal life as well as I would have liked. Um, I do want that to be the case. And so I am trying to kind of stay, take a step back and reflect on how I can apply these to my personal life. But I know that it's important and it's, I, it's, it's an area of an improvement for me, for sure.
0: Jeremy, what about you? Have you noticed some of these lessons kind of take a positive effect on your personal life?
1: Without a doubt there, you know, honestly, if you go back and listen to any of the leadership series, you'll hear kind of about the journey. And even just recently, you know, we talked about just slowing down and listening. So the other night with one of my sons, I was, I was upset. And I was like, he said, they're ticking me off. And I said, son, nobody can tick you off. Your brothers can do things that you allow you to get upset, but they cannot control you. They cannot control your emotions. So can you explain to me why you are getting upset? Because they're ticking me off. Your brothers can't control your emotions. Can you explain to me why? Right. And so before it's like, no, they're not, or well, will go do something about it, you know, that kind of thing. But it's a matter of taking there, like, let's have this conversation. Let's bring the level down. Let's get down on, you know, on his level, so I'm not standing over him, making him, you know, adding to the situation, so kind of diffusing the the situation. And then the last probably week, you know, and I, I'm going to fail at this more more times than not, but the last week, I've done the dishes pretty much every day that I was home for dinner, right? And so it's easy for me to say, you guys are here most of the day, you take care of the dishes. But instead, I say, okay, Sarah, you go get things ready for bed or to put MJ to bed. And that's the baby. So, uh, and then, you know, number one, you go wash, you help me clear the table. Number two, you sweep the floor. Number three, you're going to load the dishwasher. Right. And so then I'm there helping wash the dishes, clear the counter, load the dishwasher and get things ready so that we have a fresh start in the morning. Cause I have to set that example. I have to be willing to sacrifice my comfort or my, I deserve to come home to a clean counter. Well, I deserve to help and to lead my family. And then there, there's so many other times where these things that that we've gone over, talked about, that I have to learn again, like you just asked Rick, like, oh, yeah, we talked about that. And then next year, whenever we do this leadership series, which I think we're going to focus on Hamilton, I think I've, I've already decided that because uh, we were talking about that with Patrick, but... So I'm sure we'll talk about some of the exact same things, but it'll be just a different application. And again, as the kids grow or as the situations here at school change, you know, with my leadership at school, with my position in leading the sports medicine department here, it's going to continue to change and evolve, and I'm going to have to learn them over and over again. But without a doubt, there's been a change at the house. And, you know, I was talking with somebody the other day and. They, they said their marriage was struggling, right? And they're, they're like, you know, honestly, I just, I don't I don't know what to do. I'll go outside and I'll just punch the ground because I'm so frustrated. And then I'll just lay back and take some breaths. And then, so that night I, I said, hey, Sarah, you know, zero to 10, 10 is like amazing. Where do you feel like we are kind of right now in our marriage? And she's like, you know, it's probably like an eight or a nine. And So it's one of those regular check-in things. And here at work with Sophia, I'll say, hey, know, how do you feel like you're doing? How do you feel like we're doing with communicating? Is there something you know you need? Is there anything that doesn't look right or feel feels off? So maybe if it's like the scheduling, like she has to, she feels like she has to work more or work, you know, not is not working enough or you know a skill that she needs to work on something like that. So it's just a regular check in, and so it's part of the leader or mentor process that I've learned as well. So
0: I think we we've, we've talked about, you know, we've seen this path that you've taken and I I wrote down in the show notes, I kind of just went with the, the who, what, when, where, and why with it. And one of them was, as I read through them last night, I kind of laughed because I was like, this is a kind of a dumb question, but I still think it's a good question because I still want to know what's been the outcome for you from going through this path. And then what does the future hold for you?
2: Um, Excuse me. Um, I I would say it's, the outcome has been that I've become so much more confident, not only as a leader but as a clinician because I've just been able to learn to really t- take control of what I'm doing clinically, and I've become a better communicator with my athletes for sure. And I, it's it's definitely made me me happier. And not that I was ever unhappy with any of my other jobs for the most part, but it's it's a role that i've realized that i've wanted to take on these these leadership responsibilities and i've been able to do it so i think that's the, the confidence is probably the biggest the biggest part for me that i've become a better communicator at work and i've become a better clinician just because i've learned how to how to you know talk to people better and how to and again it's it's something that i continually need to continue to improve upon but I've become so much better than I have been in the past. And that's my, I think that's my biggest takeaway is my, my confidence level, both as a, as a leader and as a clinician, both improved.
0: Yeah, that's, that's great. Over the time, you've learned a lot. And one of the things that I've always struggled with was almost this lost time of – You know, I I was the one that placed blame on anybody else. I was the one that you should know who I am rather than me educating people. Um, You know, any other type of negative thing you can think of that we typically see with athletic trainers, that was me. I I was, you know, brash and I couldn't communicate. I was, um, you know, I even remember in this, I hate this, that this is one of my memories, but it's like my second year out. I was like, why is he questioning me? I'm the one with the master's degree. Like that line that I just said that was just so full of ego is still there that I think about it. um, That it it still bothers me that I said that at one point because now that's not me. I always think about this. There's a lot of things that I've learned over the last couple of years uh, that I take so much pride in. Uh, But what would I go back and tell my young self Know, what, what are the things that they, that young person needs to know? Um, and, and have you ever thought about that, Rick? Is, is that something that you think about? And, and what are what are one or two things that you would tell a young Rick Cox, a 22-year-old Rick?
2: Uh, well, I'd say that that you hit it on the head with the humility piece because I can tell you I've been in that same situation where rather than talking to a coach and explaining and educating, it was straight up you're not a medical professional and I am. Um, so that would, you know, I think that's one thing that I've learned that I would prefer to have learned earlier. Um, and also I think that I would have probably told myself, start learning about this stuff way sooner than you have, because like I said, it's, it's, I think it's made me better overall as an athletic trainer. And I think that if I had, could have started this when I was much younger? Although I think, At the same time, I might not have gotten the same lessons if I had forced myself to read certain things when I was in my early 20s versus in my early 30s. Um, But, yeah, I think that's what that's part of what it was, was you don't know everything. You have a lot to learn and you need to be humble.
1: So in just a second, I'm going to ask you for book recommendations, some of the things that you would point people towards. I just downloaded, uh, Frederick Douglass. I think it's called a slave story or something like that. So I'm gonna listen to that on, on audio, uh, book while I'm running. Cause that's probably one of the better ways for me. I can just run through the neighborhood and check that out. Um, but Patrick O'Haver said, we got to find some shorter books, John, to, so that he can participate because these thousand page books aren't going to cut it. Uh, Joel, <laughs> like I mentioned at the beginning, he, um, uh, said, thanks for shout the shout out to, to his podcast and his uh, episode with Rick. And then Todd was reading again, just about how the the emotions are your responsibility, not somebody else's fault and Then I commented again i like, I didn't learn this until I was a full grown man, and I'm still processing it, so I can't expect my ten eight and six year old children to to know that or to fully understand that as well, but I can begin teaching that and I can begin demonstrating that as their father as their leader as the leader of the household that nobody can make you angry but if I do it from a place of anger a place of frustration then it's not going to work so I need to be able to defuse the situation I need to detach like one of the other uh, podcasters and authors we like to talk about and read in leadership (laughs) Uh, talks about all the time so just detach step back Slow down, lower your tone, and just remember what's going on. What do you need? It, what do you need right now? What do you need at this moment? So, and then um, John McGregor, he he's with—is it Seattle? Is that where he is, John? Ooh, Portland. Oh, he's Portland. a Timbers guy. Yeah. Okay, yeah. Portland. Yeah. So he's been checking in quite a bit, watching some of the live stream there, and then Gene Hall as well, watching live. So appreciate everybody that has been watching live in and out and making comments. It's always always fun to see on the, the live stream when we get comments and the impact and just the difference it's making there. So
0: So are you telling me this is a bad time to recommend the Gulag Archipelago, which is another thousand page book for, <laughs> for Patrick to read?
1: Alright, Patrick, you got your
0: assignment.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Jeremy, did you finish about face yet or what?
1: Oh yeah, yeah. That was like a one day read for me, right? <laughs> no. No. <laughs> But I might try. I might try because again, I was listening to Jocko. So this is the first time we've said it. So we've got a we've got a running tally. We weren't allowed to say that name more than more than two times. So three, three, time. ta- three, three times. Three times was the max. Yeah. Throughout the whole podcast. So that was number one. And I thought about just starting off the story or the whole podcast doing that, just saying that name three times and <laughs> screwing everybody up. He <laughs> um, was just just again reading from About Face and talking about that book. And so I probably I do need to pick it up and and just go through it and read it and then maybe go back and look at all the lessons as I, as I do. But
0: yeah. So Jeremy did mention that I did put a, a limit to the amount of times we're allowed to say the word Jocko on the show today. So that's twice. So we're, we have one left. Um, but you know, the part of the reason is all three of us have gone through and we've read all the books we've, we've attached ourselves to that. And um, you know, you have to be careful with ideologies, right? You know, that there's a lot of lessons to be learned, but we also don't want to just fall deep down into the hole of ownership and, you know, only refer back to those books and only think about how would he do things and how would his company do things. And that's why we've had to expand our lessons from these books and to gather lessons about leadership from other different uh, sources. So for me, uh, I, I may be a bigger Stanley McChrystal guy, and uh, Rick talks about Ryan Holiday and Simon Sinek, and and Jeremy. You know, he, you know, he's had other books that he's talked about too. Um, but it's good that we're able to pull from other different areas to kind of gather all this all these lessons about leadership, so that we're able to use those in our daily practice as athletic trainers. Um, Rick, so what are some of the books that that you have found that have helped you along the way
2: yeah so obviously i mean extreme ownership is really like the baseline i didn't no, that doesn't count <laughs> uh but that that's sort of like the baseline and i and i think probably early on i read it and i was like this is this is it and then it took me you know and then i started expanding like you said but i think that was those those principles in that book are really what i kind of refer back to as my baseline but I really also enjoy um, Ryan Holiday, and that's that's a book for Patrick. Uh, you know, if you want shorter books, um, the obstacle is the way, and the ego is the enemy. You can read those. You can read those in a day. Um, you know, they're they're small books. There's they're not that long, but there's a lot. And the nice thing is, he he, he takes a lot of lessons from. Uh, he he's a stoic. He he's a practitioner of stoic philosophy, but it's not a book about stoicism. It's about, it's, it's, it's a collection of stories of people who have undergone adversity and have, they've used stoic pr- principles to improve their situations. Um, and then for me, Simon Sinek's uh, Leaders Eat Last, I was just reading some of that last night. Um, and I, I really like that one. He talks about this circle of safety and how people need to, when they're at work, they need to feel safe that they are able to um, they can, they can have an opinion. They can discuss that opinion with the people above and below them. And they're not going to get ridiculed and they're not, there's not going to be negative consequences um, for them to be expressing that opinion. So I think that's something I've really tried to take to the heart is like, I'm not as a, as the, this technically the, the leader of the athletic training staff at Suffolk. I am, I a hundred percent want my coworkers to have input on everything, um, and I don't ever want to be say, well, no, I'm, I'm the head AT. My decision is final. I don't ever want to be like that. And so that's something that I've, from Simon Sinek and his and his. He's got leaders eat last, and he's got start with why. And those are some of the lessons I've taken from him. So while that one book is sort of my baseline, I've learned so much from so many other sources.
0: Jeremy, I don't think I've ever asked you the question. Are there any other books that you've uh, experienced or read through or listened to that have helped shape your your lessons.
1: The Bible would be obviously be an important one for me as as a Christian. That should shape everything I do at my house. It should also shape everything that I do in the way that I treat others. Um, you know, with kindness, with love, with understanding. In you know, being slow to speak, slower to, slower to become angry, and quick to listen. Um, those biblical principles should. Lead me, and they definitely shape the way that I do everything. So the Bible will be number one there. I'm a big fan of Dave Ramsey, and he has a book called Entree Leadership. Also, you know, Total Money Makeover. And again, I talked about on several of the podcasts where we talk about budgeting and just the fact that if you can get your financial house in order, then every a lot of other things will fall in order too. So as John is talking about uh, getting married, now having a stepson, moving houses, and things like that. So if you have your financial house in order, it reduces the stress and allows you to approach everything and at a better angle at a bit at a different level. Um, so I'd say those are probably the two, two biggest
2: ones right there.
0: Rick, is there anything that you want to add before we, we close things out?
2: Uh, no, I don't think so. Just, this has been really great. And I, I as much as I, i've had fun talking it just makes me realize how much you know how much more i have to to learn
0: yeah that's that's one of the things that you're going to constantly come back to is um hey i've I've got this figured out no i don't there's still a lot more to learn and there's still a lot more to practice
1: all right so if you want to block rick on twitter like i did it's (laughs) it's s u f f o l k underscore a t so suffolk a t or at Suffolk underscore at, uh, or you can email him. I'll have the email in the show notes. It'll be easier that way. But it's rcox2 at suffolk. Edu. So if again, if you wanna if you wanna get a hold of Rick, you'll find out that way. And, and like I always say, you know, if if you're on social media, you can find either me or John, and then like the close connections, or it'll recommend also follow this person, that kind of thing. So we've re- obviously recently, as of releasing this today or recording this today on ten twenty eight um twenty twenty there we would have been like five or ten different tweets or you know, Facebook posts or Instagram posts or whatever about how we've been interacting, talking leading up to this. So easy way to get a hold of us there. John Seco, always popular on Twitter, always got something good, fun, funny to say, and I would say a king of the office memes. So huge fan of the office. So if you got office interactions, then hit up John Seco which is just his name, John Seiko, on social media or on, on Twitter and then on Instagram, something different. Me, is pretty easy, Mr. Jeremy Jackson or sportsmedicinebroadcast.com slash about. That'll have ways to get a hold of there. So whenever John's on here, we like to talk about some leadership coming from Myotech. John, what do you have from Myotech this week?
0: Yeah, they're, uh, I, I do want to give a shout-out to them. They did provide... Uh, a large amount of N 95s for athletic trainers, secondary school athletic trainers in the state of Michigan. Um, I forgot to mention that last time we had met with our executive board, at, uh, with Matt's and that was one of the things that we talked about. Uh, I do want to give a shout out because myotech is always out there as a group that is always advocating for athletic trainers. Um, we're their number one clients and they understand and respect what we do as a profession. Uh, and it just shows when they do things like that, like providing masks to secondary school athletic trainers. Uh, so if you get a chance, if you're looking to do some bidding, uh, myotech for me is my number one choice. That's who I go through. Uh, I, my, my salesman, Danny is, quick with a, an email and um, most of the times he's driving back out to to see me and and drop off whatever I've ordered. So I'm expecting some Gatorade uh, to be dropped off here in the next day or so. So love Myotech. All
1: right. Sportsmedicinebroadcast.com slash path to leadership featuring Rick Cox. Of course, my friend, John Seco, the sports medicine broadcast. That is a wrap. All right. So, Taco
2: jago oh. <laughs> <laughs> so so we
1: were talking about leadership so i gotta know who did you guys vote for who did i, I-